Welcome to Your Truth Revealed, a podcast that explores your hidden physical and mental health potential. I'm Erica Marcoux, and I share with you the power of self-knowledge. I interview industry professionals to talk about how you can be your own mental health expert. You're listening to episode 24, Know Your Soil Health. This is the second part of an interview with Amy Milliron. She says there's a direct connection between healthy soil and growing nutrient-dense food. Eating this food increases your health, strengthening your digestion and immune system. When we think of the Dust Bowl, the more that we are growing the same crops and we're not adding the nutrients back in the soil, we're not putting perennial crops that grow in the ground year round so that the roots will continue to grow deep, so that the water can be absorbed, so that nutrients can pass back and forth, then we have a situation like the Dust Bowl. And that is something that should be a huge concern. It has a huge fix that can happen really fast. Amy has a master's degree and bachelor's degree in elementary education from Northern Arizona University and Arizona State University, respectively. She's committed to regenerative agriculture as the founder of Fearless Farmers and Hills of Milk and Honey. Her goal is to educate all ages about healthy soil. Listen as Amy and I also explore how you can support farmers and impact climate change. As we hear more from Amy, we talk about Dr. Zach Bush, who's a physician and educator on the microbiome. He talks about how it relates to health, disease, and food systems. He and Amy taught me about a map of cancer cases that directly match to runoff from farms into the Mississippi River and into the dead zones of the Gulf of Mexico. This shows us just how glyphosate and the runoff is affecting our water and health. If you look at his work and these maps, I hope should be jaw-dropping to people when they see it. The highest rates of cancer are along those same lines. Look at the Midwest and the heavy use of synthetic chemicals farmers use to increase yields. There's no question that we should be questioning why that's happening. And we already know phosphorus is one of the main components. And if we use glyphosate on our crops and the ground is no longer able to absorb it, it's going to wash the rest away. It's going to wash it down the waterways like the Mississippi and it's going to land down in the Gulf. And we already know there's a limited supply of phosphorus to even put into the products. And there's kind of a joke, if you will, although it's not funny. But if we were to continue to produce these synthetic chemicals, we would literally have to go pump the phosphorus back out of the Gulf to be able to use it again to make more fertilizers. And what's happening is that it's killing the microorganisms, the fish and everything else that live in the water. And then also the people mainly who live in Louisiana with such high cancer rates. I would like to bring up right now while we're talking about this, another huge issue, and that is the concept of intersectionality, where we have a multitude of problems all happening at the same time. If you are living in an area where there's a high level of poverty or a disproportionate level of income and things that you are dealing with all at once, we have this intersection that needs attention. We don't even address it 
Glyphosate is a huge issue washing down the Mississippi, but then where it's landing is another huge problem. Mm-hmm. And, and then we don't address that and we don't make sure to take care of the needs that are there. So it becomes a health issue, not only for the soil and for the humans, but it becomes a social justice issue. And I get really, really upset about that. We have to do something on that scale, which not only do I feel like I'm an advocate for soil health and regenerative farming and healthy food, but also social justice issues related to this and anything else that needs to be addressed because it is all interrelated. Mm-hmm. We can't separate it. Right. It's a whole system. Well, when you talk about what we're doing to the soil and keep planting the same crops over and over again and not really protecting the soil or giving back what it needs because of the way that we're farming, I can't help but think historically about the Dust Bowl and how devastating that was. Right. There is a holistic management principle that will explain this. The holistic management was developed by Alan Savory. There are two organizations, Holistic Management International and Alan Savory Institute, both teaching and, and explaining the same concepts. It's based on this. If you look at the soil and you take into account the brittleness scale, if you think of a scale of one to 10 and a one being something like a super lush, super hydrated tropical rainforest and a 10 being a completely arid soil cracking, not able to absorb water desert, and you look at your land, ideally you're going to want to aim for more of a one than a 10 because that's where life happens. When we think of the Dust Bowl, the more that we are growing the same crops and we're not adding the nutrients back in the soil, we're not putting perennial crops that grow in the ground year round so that the roots will continue to grow deep, so that the water can be absorbed, so that nutrients can pass back and forth, then the brittleness scale just gets higher and higher. Mm -hmm. And then we have a situation like the Dust Bowl. And that is something that should be a huge concern. It has a huge fix that can happen really fast. Well, this is perfect since it leads into my next question. You taught me about regenerative farming. Why is it so important? Regenerative farming is a really big term that should hopefully become common knowledge among adults and for children growing up, just understanding it as the norm. And I think of it as an all-encompassing thought that includes holistic management practices, that includes permaculture practices, which I'll talk about in a minute, that includes soil health and Dr. Elaine Ingham's work and all of it all together so that we are managing our farming practices in a way that honors nature. And what I mean by that is If we look to nature to be our guide and we see the cycles that nature teaches us and then we come in as humans and we are part of nature too and we say, okay, well, we are able to make decisions that could be beneficial or harmful regarding our agricultural practices. We aren't hunters and gatherers so much anymore. We are growing our food, either growing by putting crops in the ground or growing by raising livestock and breeding livestock to be able to eat meat. If you think about it in the hundreds and thousands of years, it's kind of a new concept to have agriculture. We really need to think about regeneratively handling our agricultural practices. And that involves mimicking nature and the ecosystems that she teaches us that are already in place. And nature does cycle through 
in layers and doesn't grow the same thing in the same spot over and over again. And when something breaks down in nature, then all of that becomes soil organic matter that then takes all of those nutrients and it puts it back into the earth. If we do that in our farming practices, then we can't go wrong. And if you think about regenerative agriculture in a day-to-day practical sense, it kind of looks like this. If you are raising livestock, then you are thinking about rotationally grazing them. Let's say you have goats or you have cows and you're raising them for meat and you have them in one area and you don't leave them in that area for very long Mm -hmm. for a couple of reasons. One, you don't want them to eat down the fodder that they have access to too much because you need to leave a certain amount of photosynthesis to be able to occur. If you don't have a leaf that's able to capture the sun's energy, then you've eaten it down too much and you have bare ground. You want to move the animals along. You also don't want the animals to be defecating and then eating where they're defecating for too long because that's not healthy for the animals either. (laughs) But what's awesome is if you move the animals along, then they are basically fertilizing where they've been. Mm -hmm. They get new crops to eat. The grass is greener on the other side. They are then leaving behind a way to have nature do its thing and provide increased stock density the next time around, Mm -hmm. meaning that the land becomes even healthier the next time the soil has produced even healthier fodder for them to use. I remember when we first met, I got to visit you at your farm and I saw you doing that with chickens. Right. And it was super interesting There was a lot going on on your farm, and that has become part of your personal experience, having your farm and teaching it to children in particular. Right. Like I said before, I think that if children have the experiences to see regenerative farming in action, they will see that as the norm. Maybe they will consider playing a role in regenerative farming in their future, whether that means becoming an actual farmer or supporting one. They could become an attorney and have part of their work be committed to helping farmers solve some of their needs. If they just become informed consumers as they grow up and understand how to support regenerative farmers with their dollars, with their time, and in any other way that they can. I don't want to just focus on children. It's families. We all are concerned, especially now, about how we address moving forward and supporting healthy ways of life and supporting local food. That's always been a goal of mine. Yes. May I ask, what are you up to right now? I previously owned a farm that provided educational activities for families and children called Hills of Milk and Honey. And it was in Dripping Springs, Texas. It was a great opportunity for families and children to come out and learn all of these regenerative farming concepts and get their hands in the dirt and learn how worms benefit the soil and eat healthy food and go in and harvest and cook the food in the kitchen with a chef. And it was a great experience and one that I just kept thinking, gosh, it's so limited to the number of people that can actually get to the farm. Mm-hmm. There has to be a way to be able to give more people this experience. The Hills and Milk and Honey no longer operates a physical farm, but now produces and publishes curriculum that people can access online to be able to learn about regenerative agriculture. In addition, Fearless Farmers is a nonprofit 
that also teaches people about regenerative agriculture. We have started in Central Texas and are expanding throughout the United States. We're excited about that. Excellent. Amy, how is regenerative agriculture one of 100 ways that we can reverse climate change? This is really the root. Not only is regenerative agriculture better for us and the soil and better for our health, but it plays a positive role in reducing global warming. And we need to address something first before we get into that. One thing that I have seen in recent years is people talking about climate and weather as being the same thing. It'll be in the middle of winter and snowing for days on end somewhere in the Northeast, and someone will say, ah, the silly people that think that there's global warming. And they'll take one weather event and decide that climate change doesn't exist. And that's not how it works. Climate is the whole system. It's taking a look at patterns of weather over a 30-year period. Mm -hmm. And weather is what happens in a short span of time, maybe a day or even hours or a week, but not over a long period of time. And what we're seeing is there are huge impacts to the climate changing And we need to wake up to that. There are a lot of solutions. Paul Hawken Mm -hmm. has gathered a team together and published online and in a book called Drawdown. The idea behind it is that we can draw down carbon dioxide Mm -hmm. and store it in the soil through regenerative agriculture of 100 ways to solve climate change. What's cool about that is we know that the soil feeds off of carbon. Carbon is needed to feed the soil and we have too much carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. If we solve that through getting it into the soil again and regenerative agriculture can do that, Mm -hmm. then we can make a huge impact. There are some incredible statistics that are encouraging. By 2050, Mm -hmm. it's estimated that 1 billion acres of land will be managed regeneratively. And that should be really encouraging to people. The other thing is that 23.2 gigatons of carbon dioxide can be sequestered from the atmosphere and placed into the soil and by reduced emissions. How in the world is that done? How is it put back into the soil? The way that we do that is through photosynthesis. When we grow something, then the simple act of photosynthesis is drawing in that carbon dioxide. We learned this as a kid. We breathe out carbon dioxide and plants give us oxygen and the plants take in the carbon dioxide and give us that oxygen. We learn that when we're little and it seems like such a simple thought, but it's so much bigger. It impacts climate change (laughs) by reducing the amount of emissions that we know are negative that contribute to the carbon dioxide increasing in the atmosphere by also working on drawing carbon down into the soil, that's where we can get to that 23.2 gigatons. Awesome. If we could get this message out so that people really understand where to invest their money, $1.9 trillion, that's a huge number, can be returned, that's possible, by 2050 if an investment of $57 billion is invested in regenerative agriculture practices. So $57 billion invested in regenerative agriculture practices could return $1.7 trillion. When I think about climate change and how we know what to do, 
it seems like a no-brainer that people would want to jump on board and financially support those efforts because there is zero negative impact to regenerative agriculture. It is what we should be doing. It's not like we need to search for the answer. We know the answer. We just need to implement it. Why would farmers be hesitant to practice regenerative farming? Is there a downside for them? There's a perceived downside. They feel that we can't produce enough food to feed the world if we don't do it in a way that they've learned how to do it. And is there evidence to support that that's not true? There is. There's a lot of money tied up in chemical fertilizers and the management of land in a massive monocrop scale. There are a lot of people's lives that would need to maybe shift gears and look a little bit different. And we need to look at how that is impacted by the decisions that would be made to switch to regenerative agriculture. From my heart, I realize that a lot of people would be worried, okay, I've been doing this for a long time, I would be out of work, or I wouldn't know how to do this this way, or I'm part of the distribution. If that's what I know how to do, what would I do instead? Or if I know how to do conventional farming methods, then how do I even learn how to do regenerative methods? A great resource for people who are looking to make that shift is the National Center for Appropriate Technology. And it's NCAT for short. There's a lot out there that people can learn from. The Rodale Institute, the Land Institute, and the Stone Barn Center for Agriculture. I think it always is going to come back to money. When you don't have the means to be able to have a profit margin that's high enough where you can take a risk to do something differently, mm-hmm. then you are going to want to stick with what you know. I want to encourage farmers, especially farmers who have been doing it for a long time, that for every six farmers over 65, there's only one under 35 to take their place. That statistic should scare people. For one thing, we need to be building apprenticeship programs. But the encouraging part about that is that one under 35, they have woken up. They understand Mm -hmm. what needs to happen next. They know that they don't want to do it conventionally. And they know that regenerative agriculture is the way to go. We need to look at ways to help learn from the farmers. They have a wealth of knowledge. Mm -hmm. Even if they've been using synthetic chemicals or they've been plowing their fields, they still understand how things grow livestock care and the cycle of life. They just took the advice of what was available at the time when they were at the height of their career. And I think that we need to bring all voices to the table so we can learn from each other and move together. Mm-hmm. We cannot put corporate interests ahead of public safety. And food and the food system should be a public safety issue. And we know that it is because We see all of the reports about listeria outbreaks and E. coli outbreaks. We see how it affects consumers. When the pandemic hit, something that most farmers already knew was that we had a food distribution, food production, and a food processing issue because there are monopolies that control a lot of the food system. And that puts corporate interests above public safety. What I mean by that is when large plants that were processing food had to shut down because a large number of people ended up with COVID-19 and all of a sudden we don't have enough processing plants to process meat, then we were seeing farmers not know what to do with their meat. 
now a lot of farmers were able to switch gears and shift and come up with a way to meet the demand within their community directly, but it didn't solve the problem. This is something that small farmers have known to be a problem for a long time, but the public woke up to this during the pandemic. The public woke up to a lot of what farmers know during the mm -hmm. pandemic. And I am excited to think about the solutions that are going to happen, but the solutions have been there. We've had access to them for a long time. Some of the organizations that have been promoting this for 30 years or more are Bioneers and Pachamama Alliance that not only talks about regenerative agriculture, it also talks about social justice and how that's linked to agriculture. It goes beyond anything we've even talked about today, looking at nonprofit media sources, not just what's put in front of our feed when we're scrolling through social media. For people like me who want to learn more, I know that you have a curriculum out there. Can you explain how people can access it and what they can get? I create the curriculum based on regenerative agriculture principles, and it is made available online through Hills of Milk and Honey. And there are different ways that people can access it. They can participate directly. They can have organizations get involved in accessing it. In addition to that, Fearless Farmers, the nonprofit that I mentioned, uses Hills of Milk and Honey's curriculum to teach at regenerative farms. When you want a hands-on experience, then you seek out a regenerative farm near you, sign up through Fearless Farmers, participate, and learn through Hills of Milk and Honey curriculum. Otherwise, you can just access Hills of Milk and Honey directly. Awesome. And the really cool thing about it is it's made for families. So the idea is that families get involved together. If you have a high schooler or a kindergartner or anybody in between, then you all will be able to be learning about the same topics at the same time at a developmentally appropriate level. And these are big topics like soil health and permaculture practices, learning how to observe nature, set up your own backyard to manage the soil and what you grow, and soil health, nutrition, and cooking. There are so many components to permaculture in particular that people can implement without having a large plot of land. All of it is brought together so that people understand the whole approach from a holistic perspective. To sum up everything that you've shared today, is that soil health is where human health begins. Yes. And Amy, I so appreciate your time. This topic is extremely important, and I've learned so much just by knowing you and hope to keep learning more. Thanks, Erica. You're welcome. Take care. Speaking of nutrition, it's important to balance your gut health. Our featured product for this episode is Restore by Biomic Sciences Company. I also recommend Restore in episodes 11 and 12, Know Your Food. This supplement helps to beneficially shift the bacteria of the large intestine. Restore is a soil-derived supplement. It goes beyond probiotics and can relieve digestive discomfort. Go to yourtruthrevealed.com slash store and use promo code TRUTH for a 20% discount. Welcome to the bonus segment of my podcast, Your Truth Revealed. Let's take another look at regenerative agriculture. We've talked about how this is a farming practice that mimics nature. This provides you with nutrient-dense foods to keep you healthy. And at the same time, it can reverse climate change. 
This type of agriculture builds soil health, promotes ecosystem diversity, and eliminates the use of chemical pesticides and fertilizers. It's more humane for livestock and produces more nutritious and flavorful food. Regenerative agriculture focuses on rebuilding the topsoil, improving the water cycle, and increasing resilience to climate change. Basically, it's better for our soil and better for our health. Reviving the soil looks to nature to be our guide. And in nature, the same plants are not grown in the same spot over and over again. It's in our best interest for farmers to do the same. When plants break down in nature, then all of that becomes soil organic matter and all of those nutrients go back into the earth. We have the ability to do this in our farming practices. And regenerative agriculture is one of a hundred ways that we can reverse climate change. Paul Hawken explains this in depth in his book, Draw Down. He presents a new way of looking at the reduction of carbon emissions in the atmosphere by drawing it back into the soil. In other words, plants pull carbon from the atmosphere and microbes convert plant debris into soil carbon. Sadly, in the United States, there's as little as less than 1% organic material in our soil. It's like having farm fields of dust particles that grow nutrient-poor food. However, there's a solution. For every percent of organic matter in the soil, you can draw down about five tons of carbon per acre. This is done using photosynthesis when green plants use sunlight to synthesize foods from carbon dioxide and water. The solution of pulling carbon out of the air works with regenerative agriculture. Drawdown refers to that point in time when greenhouse gases in the atmosphere peak and begin to decline. There will be benefits to human health, security, prosperity, and well-being. You can learn more about regenerative agriculture from Amy online through hillsofmilkandhoney.com. Make sure to check out the show notes. There are some great resources. And in episode 25, I sit down with counselor Carrie Cooper. We focus on children and adolescents who experience trauma and how they heal. Trauma is common, but its effects don't have to be. The basis of relationships is already being created as an infant. We hope an infant cries, mom or dad comes and gets them or caregiver nurtures them. That connection is made. This is how relationships work. They're loving and kind. For our kiddos who have had trauma, they cry, no one comes, or even worse, they get harmed or it's unpredictable. People are not always safe. That's a whole different connection. It makes a lot more sense when you have a kid who's had a lot of trauma not respond the way we kind of expect kids to. Until next time, please subscribe and rate the show. Also, tune into Season 1 for more on unleashing your physical and mental health potential. I'm Erica Marcoux. Thanks for listening.